This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September the 6th, the Kidnapper's Not Going to Let Me Use My Phone edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Eliza, who's seven, and Leo, who's four. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is now 13, and Ezra, who's 15. Happy birthday, Georgia. Today on our show, uh, we're going to talk to Slate's Rebecca Onion about her obsession with Facebook parenting groups, why they're the only thing that keeps her on that hell site at all. Uh, And we'll take a question from a listener whose young son is getting teased for the color of his skin. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations on Slate Plus. We're going to take another question. This one is about uh, Native American appropriation at summer camp. Uh, first, let's do triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you have a triumph or a fail? Fail. Absolute abject fail. I just, I'm just going to say this is blanket fail. I completely suck at the start of the school year in every regard. I always have. And the last couple of years I've even planned for it. Like, I know that I'm terrible at it. I know that I'm always behind the eight ball and like what's going on with my kids and, you know, changing morning routines and, you know, getting into the groove of communicating with them about homework and showers and lunches and all the bullshit that goes with a complete reboot that comes at the beginning of school year. I'm terrible at it. And this year I even, you know, made some accommodations for it. Like I tried to do last year. I didn't schedule things I normally would do. My podcast that I make every week, um, I we go on a biweekly schedule in the summer and I extended it through mid-September so that even like my production schedule would be lighter. I said no to a couple of things at work, work-related events in the evenings because I was like, no, I really have to be present so that, you know, this wholesale change in our routine and our schedule, like I can just sort of be more present in it. And I just can't freaking do it. I can't figure it out. I can't seem to like figure out how to properly communicate with the kids about what they're thinking and doing and how the school year is going. Uh, I can't seem to figure out like, you know, I I made sure the first day, like I went for a walk with the dogs in the morning and I said to Kevin, like, can you make sure the kids are up by like 640? And then I came home and they were like, you don't have to make sure we're up. Like, we've been getting up on our own for two years. And I'm like, okay, I can't even get that right. Um, I can't get, like, the thing right Henry's talking about maybe quitting band because it's just not, like, as fulfilling. And I'm like, I really don't think you should. Blah, blah, blah. I think you should talk to music teacher and work. And he's just like, Mom, I really need to be able to make this decision on my own. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, 
oh, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it logistically. I can't do it psychically. I can't do it psychologically. I wish the month of September I could do that thing that they do like in old timey France when their heart's broken and they just like put themselves into a coma in the hospital for a month. I wish I could just do that for this, for this whole month. Wait, I, I, I need to know more about what they did in medieval, in 18th century Oh, it's not France. medieval. It's not even that old fashioned. It's like a thing that like people would do when their heart was broken. They would like go to the hospital and let themselves be drugged so they could like, be in a coma to like get through their heartbreak period. Never heard of this? It's a thing. It's totally a thing. Look it up. It's a side, it's a side track. It, it sounds extremely, it extremely you scientific and historical. <laughs> <laughs> I wish though, I, I really do wish that somebody else could inhabit my body if for the month of September and just do the things that need to be done, sign the paperwork, write the notes, have the right conversations, uh, you know, figure out the way that the kids are definitely showering even when they go to bed after you, like all that stuff. I'm, I'm terrible at it. I hate it. And I fail at it every time. And this year is no exception. So I know it's kind of broad, but that's where I'm at right now. No, that's a mm. great that's a great place for us to start because I I have a back to school triumph uh, and and of course you do. your your fail <laughs> wow. is gonna is gonna just set the stage for my triumph. Uh, it's it's, Salt it's a pretty open wound. It's a pretty minor triumph, all things considered. Um, but I feel good about it. Um, so okay, so we have two kids, and the thing with having two kids is that the bigger one is constantly jealous of the younger one for getting more parental attention. The other thing about having two kids is that the younger one is jealous of the bigger one for getting to do more stuff and stay up later. But the the one that breaks my heart is the fact that Eliza feels like we spend much more time on on Leo than on her, uh, which is true. We do because he needs more stuff. He's more helpless. He's only four. He can't like entertain himself or get himself a snack or anything like that. So this is like an ongoing source of guilt in me, an older child who presumably had that same um, experience uh, as I watched my parents kowtow to the needs of my younger and more athletic brother. But um, the other night, uh, they're starting school. We're back to school. Eliza's back to school today and Leo is back to school next week. And and we had our like take them back to school routine down. And of course, because Leo is four, then the the first few days of preschool are all like both of the parents go in and we meet the teacher and we're going to like talk about what he's going to be doing and make sure he has all his things in the right place and we're going to stay there with him for one of us is going to be with him for a while in the mornings if he like maybe outside for like what they call phase in and there's all this like stuff that you have to do to get your four-year-old into a new school year and and a second grader you drop him off and and say goodbye at the door give him a kiss goodbye and nod at the teacher and then you walk away and Eliza said to me the other night before I was putting her to bed, she just said, hey, on my first day of second grade, could both of you drop me off? And it's not a big request, but in terms of the logistics of getting everybody back to school that Rebecca was talking about, it actually is kind of a big request. Like we then do have to figure out how we can both get us both out the door and bring Leo along, even though he doesn't have school that day. And, and yeah. we're all going to have to leave at 745. And, and then we're each going to, you know, my wife is going to go to her work and I take the, I take Leo to meet with the babysitter who's going to be with him until he starts school. And, um, but like, okay, if that's what you want, that's not an unreasonable request. We have to do this whole set of rigmarole for your brother. And so, okay, we're going to do that. And we did that. And she, you know, walked in there happy because it was she's excited about a new school year. But also like there's both of her parents. And if you want both of your parents just for that morning, okay, you can have that. 
so I I came away feeling good that we were able to to she could ask for that and we could give it to her. Um, even though yes, disruptive and inconvenient, triumph. Everybody cheer for me. Um, <laughs> Carvel, how about you? <laughs> triumph or fail? I mean, I had something of a fail because I a few weeks ago when we were talking about the movie Eighth Grade. I was like appalled at how mean this girl was to her apparently loving and consistently present father. And I was like feeling like superior, like my kid doesn't act like that. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like my kids know better than that. And uh, as I mentioned in the open to the show, I do have a, an eighth grader who just turned 13 last week. And it was like, Third, it's like it's. It was like all of a sudden thirteen happened, and all of a sudden I had this totally different person. So on Sunday we were all hanging out, the three of us, me, Ezra, and Georgia, and we'd had a perfectly fine day. And as the evening came about, Georgia started getting texts from her friends. We're at the mall, and you come hang out with us at the mall, and have a sleepover in so and so's house, and you want to meet us, and so on and so forth. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. That sounds great. I'll, 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 I'll drop you off over there and that'll be good. So she's like, great. So she's texting with them like, yeah, I'm going to be on my way. Oh, my God, I can't believe so-and-so said they liked so-and-so and everything. And she's like fully enmeshed in all kinds of drama of who likes who and who's dating who and who told who that they like who. And uh, she downloads probably like 50% of this stuff to me and I'm always interested and fascinated by it. And, you know, she's like in that world and so on, you know. So, um. So she was like, couldn't even during, even during dinner, she like was having a hard time focusing because she was upset that she was missing some, some developments in the latest situations with who likes who. And, but I took their phones as I do most dinners. And so we got through it, but then she was really impatient. Like, are we done yet? We got to go. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. And so I was like, just relax. And she, you know, she finally like got what she wanted. We left and we're headed down to the mall. And then I couldn't help noticing that her phone was at like 3%. And I was like, oh, no, this is a problem. I was like, you can't, I'm not going to drop you off at the mall with these kids with a phone at 3%. You've got to charge it. We've got to get you to to at least 40% would be my ideal, but I can live with 30%, but you've got to charge your phone. And, of course, she's, like, killing her phone because she has, like, 300 apps open at the same time. And, and you know, she's just, like, she's just phone. It's just, like, phone, 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 phone. And so I was, like, <laughs> all right, give me the phone. I'm going to charge it. And she lost it on me. Dad, this is so unfair. God, I can't believe it. What do you mean? Like, I oh, it's so annoying. And I was, like, look, I mean, and Ezra was in the car with us, too. And he was, like, well, Georgia, I mean, he's trying to explain. Shut up, Ezra. God, I'm so sick of hearing you. Like, just completely was, like, verbally abusing me and Ezra the whole time. And I was, like, look, I'm just trying to get your phone. To, like, I don't want any bad. Well, what bad things are going to happen? My friends have phone. I can charge it at the mall. Dad, God, it's so annoying. And I was, like, well, what if you, what if there's an earthquake well if there's an earthquake god like the phone lines are going to be down anyway it doesn't matter okay well what if you get kidnapped well the kidnapper's not going to let me use my phone and i'm like <laughs> losing on all of these hypotheticals because she's outmaneuvering me on every one and i'm just like look georgia like you have to have your phone and at one point we drive past this like 
homeless encampment. And I'm like, I just lose it. I'm like, I can't believe you're yelling about like a dad who cares for you and wants you to charge your phone. And meanwhile, there's homeless people right here. Like, what is happening with you? Like, it just and it just turned into a whole thing. And then Ezra was not helping because every time one of us like scored like a victory in our argument, Ezra would be like, ooh. And then George would say something like, you know what, dad? You're just a control freak and you have to be in charge of everything. And Ezra would be like, ooh. Like, you shut up. Like, everyone, he just went from like chill to yelling just within like 30 seconds. It was so unbelievable. I felt entirely out of control about it. And finally, we did charge the phone over her protestations. She was already like telling me she never wanted to hang out with me again and she hated me as her dad and blah, blah. And, uh, and then we got the phone to 30% and I sent her off to be with her friends. And I just was like, ah. And she was mad and I was mad and everyone was mad. And then, uh, and then the next day, then I didn't pick her up because she had a sleepover. So the next day I picked her up from the sleepover and I thought we were going to reconcile, but we didn't. We didn't, we just like stonewalled each other. We just were quiet. Mm. And, and it turns out, I mean, I, I've known this and Joe's been saying this for years, but like, you know, everyone in our family has a little dynamic specifically with one another. Turns out Georgia and I's dynamic is that we are both incredibly stubborn. And mm. there's this thing that both of us do, and I've talked about this before, where where we start, where everything's fine, it's all love, it's all great, and then a conflict arises, and we look at each other, and it's almost like, it's <laughs> it's almost like one of those Japanimation cartoons where her eyes narrow and my eyes narrow, and we're both like, oh, we're go- we're gonna do this, we're going in, and we're gonna see who wins now, and so it was one of those things where like the next day I was like, okay, obviously I'm gonna apologize and say, hey, look, I lost my temper, but I love you, and I don't know. But I, I couldn't bring myself to do it because I was still mad at her and I wanted to give her the silent treatment. And she gave me the silent treatment. So we had this awkward <laughs> ride home in, 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 in silence. I was taking her back to her mother's house. She got out of the car. Okay, dad. All right, Jordan, I'll see you later. So she gets out of the car and then the next day comes around and she gets in the car to go to school. So I drop Ezra off and then here we are alone again. And then I'm like, come on, Carvel, just admit that you lost your temper and that you maybe like overreacted and, you know, break the ice. And I couldn't do it and she couldn't do it. And so we were quiet. And then and then a, a, a small talk conversation began, which is usually how we resolve these things. She just starts telling me about someone at school. I start asking questions and then we're back in it. And then and we did that and it was a little bit better. And then at the very end, she got out of the car and she opened the door and then she looked back and she said, I'm sorry for acting out the other day, Dad. And I said, I'm sorry, too. Like, I lost my temper. I just love you and don't want anything to happen to you. And she said, I know. I understand. I love you. And then she got out of the car and she left. And that was how it was resolved. But I, in reflecting on it, I was like, I cannot believe that I entered into a battle of wills with a 13-year-old. And hmm. the 13-year-old was the bigger man. Like, like she was the one who finally, like, decided to put her pride aside while I was still clinging to my rapidly deteriorating sense of control over the world. It was a very unsettling experience and it's fine now but yeah it looks like i have a teenager now mm. looks like you are a teenager now <laughs> yeah it was not my finest moment of parenting i did not handle it as well as i would like to have yeah, but you can always commiserate with us about it. I mean, I, I really do think a lot of these, like, fights, because I've had the same kind of stupid situations going on in my own house. I just, like, stepping on my own—we talked about this a couple weeks ago, like, me stepping right. on my own stupidity. A lot of it right. has to do with this time of year, like, 
brings it out. I really think it yeah. does. The, the whole transition, the reentry stuff, the shifting routine, the like it's the beginning of a school year. Like for kids, it is a new year in the way that for adults, like maybe your fiscal yeah. year at work is your new year or like maybe yeah. – you know, January 1st is your new year because you're like fresh start, you know, new tax year or it's, whatever. It's, like even, for kids, it's, it's more than that. For kids, it's like they start a new job every year. Right. Like they and, have and a they whole ha- And new, they have to be a new person. They have a new boss year. and a new set of coworkers every year. It, <laughs> yeah, like, right. I, I really think it's great. Like if you've started a new job recently, then, then you know it's incredibly stressful. You go in there feeling anxious. Who is everybody? What am I supposed to do? Where do I sit? Is everybody looking at me funny? Who are all these people? What are my relationships with them? If you're a kid, you have to do that literally once a year. It's terrifying. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. Good luck to everybody. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on the show, uh, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email at momanddad at slate.com. On Slate Plus today, we're going to take another question from a listener. Here's a clip. Tell them that. Like, you don't need these headdresses for the thing that's valuable about this. You don't need whatever other Native American stuff or uh, pseudo-Native American stuff they're doing. If you want to hear that segment uh, and another one like it every week, if you want to get this show without any of the ads, if you want to hear uh, more episodes of your favorite Slate podcasts and extended episodes of your other favorite Slate podcasts, you should be a member of Slate Plus. It costs just $35 for your first year. You can try it for two weeks for free. If you haven't done this yet, uh, what is wrong with you? Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go. Okay, today we're talking to Slate writer Rebecca Onion. Uh, Rebecca, tell us how many kids do you have? How old are they? Tell us about them. I have one daughter. Her name is Jane, and she's 19 months. Uh, Rebecca is the author of a recent post, The Parent Trap. I'm so helplessly addicted to parenting groups that I feel like I can never leave Facebook. Been there. (laughs) Um, What is it about Facebook parenting groups? What do they do? What are they? What is it that you are stuck to? I think it's the, the just because there are so freaking many people on Facebook, um, there can be groups that have very specific interests. Um, so I'm really interested in a couple of philosophies of parenting, uh, respectful parenting or RIE and uh, positive parenting. And if you just were to go on babycenter.com and try to find the threads where people are talking about um, you know, issue, issues like uh, discipline or, or teaching kids about emotions um, – you might not necessarily find like-minded people, but on Facebook, you can find groups of people where people are coming from the, from the same, not the same point of view, but a similar point of view informed by the same kinds of commitments that you're informed by. Um, and as I found out when I researched the piece a little bit, that would be probably all the more true for me if I were dealing with uh, a more particular situation, like a kid with special needs, or, um, you know, if I had adopted or had something else very specific that might not be um, common with people who were around me physically in my town. See, to me, you're actually talking about what I think that sort of forgotten um, 
good stuff around Facebook is. I mean, for me, I I don't mm-hmm. I don't share a lot of the concerns people have about use of my personal data. I do think I do have concerns about, you know, the platform in in other respects with regard to data, but not in terms of my personal stuff. I feel like that's just out there in so many ways right now I that know. quitting Facebook yeah. just feels like a very fake band-aid to put on a global problem. Because for me, the huge benefit of Facebook is that um, huge population and the dare I say, real relationships I have with real people that I would not otherwise have real relationships with were it not for that platform. Women in my town, for instance, who are like fellow moms of uh, school kids uh, who commiserate around the same things that I do. And then when we see each other out and about, we actually feel like we know each other and our relationship has advanced a little Mm bit. Uh, Or like my sister, uh, my somewhat previously estranged sister who, when she and I finally became Facebook friends like three or four years ago, are actually keeping up with each other's lives. And so that's kind of some of that connectivity you're talking about. And parenting is is like that kind of topic where, especially when people have questions or find it difficult or challenging or they have specific interests like you do. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is bringing out the best in what this platform is. And I do think that groups in general around different things, not just parenting, are far better than just the general Facebook timeline experience. I think that's true about groups, too. And some people, um, you know, I posted this uh, question about Facebook groups on the Slate Parenting Facebook page. And some people said, oh, yeah, like there used to be an app where you could only interact with groups. And then they got rid of that. Um some reporters speculated online that perhaps that was because people might leave and just be on that app with their groups and not be on the main Facebook wall, which is probably what I would do. So <laughs> they're correct about that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess one of the questions that I keep thinking about is like, because I have the same, I share the same ambivalence as you do. I have, I at this point feel less of an attachment to groups even maybe because I have older kids and but I do know that when the kids were little our the our online places that we went to were vastly helpful and maybe then it was less Facebook and more actually Berkeley Parents Network which is which is this like mm-hmm. BBS site that actually ended up having you know we would just it would always be one of the places we check for any random thing everything from recommendations to you know to like how to deal with such and such a domestic issue um it makes me wonder if like the problem isn't i mean are are you basically saying that like the groups are great but facebook is terrible which i sort of agree and but the problem is that there's Mm -hmm. no other option because i've just been sitting here racking my brain thinking like what what are the other is there a way that you can like be in community with other parents without having to deal with facebook like is it really that stark a choice yeah, you know, I, I I I cited your care and feeding post in my uh in my piece, Carvel, because you you addressed it. A, a reader asked the same sort of the same question at one point. Mm, um, right. And you suggested right. you suggested um you know you could start a Google group, you could start a Yahoo group. Um, uh, I don't know. And in some ways, you know, I for one paragraph in the piece, I interviewed my um interviewed <laughs> sent an email to my aunts and uncles and parents and ask them, you know, because they raised kids, they raised kids in the um, in the 80s. Um, and I and, you know, I asked, them, what did you guys do? Um, and they just they talked to each other. They talked to they had playgroups in their um, respective neighborhoods, um, you know, where they sort of had the same five moms. Now, note moms, 
um, <laughs> with their kids that would get together and sort of grew up together. And so they would hash things out that way. Um, and whether that's better or not, they couldn't really say because obviously they haven't had both experiences and it's hard to say. Um, it is definitely true that it sort of depends. It's like luck of the draw. Like maybe you might have a group of moms that are, are right around you in your proximity that you happen to meet who you really like and you agree with a lot about a lot of things. Um, and then maybe you, maybe you might not. Um, but then it gets to a question of like, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, it might, might be good for me to have a group of like-minded in-person moms who are not like exactly reading the things that I'm reading and who are not like right in line with a lot of the things that I'm thinking. Cause there's an advantage on Facebook of, you know, having all read the same things and sort of believing the same concepts, but it's also sort of like you never get questioned really, <laughs> or you never, um, hear something totally new or different. Um, I don't know. But then it also goes back to the point of, you know, say that you were grow like uh, raising kids in the 80s and you did have an in-person mom group um, and or parent group, I guess I should say, <laughs> that were in the 80s. So it might be more of a mom group. Not sure. Um, you, you know, you might have a kid who has a problem or an issue or a special circumstance that none of those people know anything about. Um, and then you're back in the sort of special circumstances case where, it's maybe less good not to have access to the other people who are in the special circumstances. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I mean, it's funny that you bring up that piece because of course I was that thing I wrote in Karen feeding. Cause I was thinking yeah. about that this morning when we were prepping for that. And like, when I look back on that, I might've even answered it differently if I were given that question today than I did even a few months ago, because I was trying to find some way that a person could get off Facebook. Like I just, I feel like I just keep returning to there has to be some way we can get off Facebook. And I think that's probably where I'm hung yeah. up is like, is, I mean, yeah. like, is there no way we can get off Facebook? We've got to find that. And I feel like, I feel like that letter writer in particular was like, I want to get off Facebook, but I'm afraid to. And so I felt like being like, no, you have every right to, and here's some things you can do instead if you're serious about it. And I, I just, I can't help. I feel like I'm just still looking and sort of want to co and this is an ongoing conversation, but I want to co-find with other people something else you can do. Because the other thing that <laughs> it brings up to me is like it makes me wonder, as much as Facebook gives you access to more people, which means more opinion, which in some ways can be good, it makes me wonder if it also doesn't then serve to prevent you from actually meeting people in real life. From like from from forming the kind of communal stuff that you need that you would have to form if you were in a pre Facebook era, um, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think you can look at both, but it just makes me wonder if like that's not part of the problem. Is that the idea of like, well, what if I have to talk to people in real life? What if it's not? What if it doesn't go right? Or what if I don't like them? Or what if what if there's conflict? That <clears throat> part of the like fear of that has to do with the fact that we're like out of practice at it and we're out of practice at it because we have this other alternative that's so that's at the push of a button and doesn't require us to leave our homes. Yeah, there's a collective action problem though, right? Because if you're the the only yeah. person who gets off Facebook and starts trying to right. start an in-person parenting group, you're going to be there in the community center all by yourself while everybody else Aww. is at home on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I, God, just, I, I really don't can... understand the either or proposition here. I mean, I I think that you can have a better in-person parenting group that 
you know, also is involved on Facebook. I have a really, like a lot of success stories in my life around sort of the dual digital and in-person relationships. And mm -hmm. I, listen, I know it's a really problematic place and that people want to get off it, but and like, but look, like we are all talking about Ello like three years ago. Where the hell did that go? Oh my God. None, none like, of us were actually working. talking about Ello. <laughs> <laughs> well, people talked about it for four days or whatever when they were waiting uh, yeah, for a yeah. stupid invitation, but like, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know, maybe it's, I mean, I feel like Facebook can be made. I mean, it takes, it does take opting in. It takes steps. It takes some technical know-how and some, some willingness to go into your settings every couple of months and tweak them. But you really can make it better. You can unfollow mm -hmm. certain kinds of things and literally never see them. I mean, that is possible. Um, so maybe it's just a question of being willing to put in the work <laughs> or not. And, you know, these groups seem like a good way to get the best of it, you know, without having to put right. in as, as much work. Well, I, th I mean, I think that what – but you're saying that you have less of a problem with Facebook than some people do. Like some people who have a real ideological bent against it are caught – the only thing ensnaring them – and I think this was the letter that I answered right. to Karen Feeding – the only thing ensnaring them was – was the was the feeling that if they were to leave, they would suddenly be absent all of this stuff. And I I think that's more who this conversation is for. Like if you're cool with Facebook, then it doesn't have to be an either or. I mean, I right. would say that when we our, our parenting group that we had when our kids were little from like 2006 to 2009 or whatever it was, we did it all through Yahoo groups. And it was like we used the parenting group to sometimes have discussions when we were in each other's houses, but mostly it was just to meet up to organize like various meetups and then we would have the conversations in person. And it seems like that that is a nice, that feels in retrospect like a fairly nice balance of like using the power of connectivity to get what you want, but also not have it stand mm. in for like, but but it seems like f that's no longer, that's less of an option. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Right. It's a rough situation, I feel like. All right. It's time for us to move on. I'm afraid we're not going to solve the Facebook problem right here on, on this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, probably not. Rebecca Onion, um, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, time to take a question from a listener. This one came to us over email. If you want us to tackle your question, uh, send us an email at momanddad at slate.com. This question is being read for us by Slate Culture intern Isabel Torrealba. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My wife and I, we're a same-sex couple, have two boys, ages two and five. My wife and I are both black and I gave birth to the children. We live in what I would describe as a progressive and predominantly white community where our children have been born and raised. Recently, my son shared with us that his friends had been teasing him for having brown skin. This happened on a couple of occasions. One of the kids has a mother who is half Indian and the other kid's family is Latino, so I truly don't believe that teasing is a manifestation of any bigotry in their homes. In fact, I spoke to one of the moms and she was horrified that her child would take part in that kind of teasing. The boys that were involved are two of my son's closest friends at school. He was hurt and confused by their actions. He's not talking about wishing he was white. My wife and I brought this up with my son's teacher about the incident, and we think he is responding appropriately. For our part, 
My wife and I are doubling our efforts to instill in our sons empowerment and pride in being black. So I have two questions for you all. One, one area that my wife and I need to work on is cultivating relationships with other families of color, especially black families, so that my sons see themselves reflected in their community. Thus far, our friends and their playmates have primarily been white, and those families have been great, but we need to expand and diversify our social circle. But it feels awkward and disingenuous to approach people we don't know all that well simply because of their skin color. How do you even strike up that initial conversation? Two, how or should I bring this up with our white friends, as in parents of my son's friends? When I have brought this up, the conversation quickly gets awkward. They don't know how to react, and it's not a situation they can identify. I'm inclined to just not say anything, but I do want to bring it up to stress the importance of addressing these issues with their kids, even if they aren't people of color. But maybe I'm being judgmental and overstepping my bounds in that regard. Thanks. Thanks for your letter. Uh, I'm sorry you're in this difficult situation. Um, I want to respond particularly to the second part of your question, which is about how or should I bring this up with our white friends. Um, Speaking as a white person, uh, I am sure that you bringing this up makes white people uncomfortable. That that's the uh, experience that I've had is being made uncomfortable by by friends of mine of color bringing up things that that have happened to them and that they should have every right to bring up. Um, and, and if you want to decide, well, I don't want to deal with that uncomfortable situation of triggering some discomfort in this white person, then obviously that's your prerogative. Um, I think you should bring it up anyway. Uh, and if you feel up to dealing with the white person's discomfort, then uh, I think it would be helpful uh, for you to bring it up with them and to say, here's a thing that happens. It happens in all kinds of homes. It happens whether there's um, you know, manifest bigotry in the household or not. Um, and here are some things that it would be helpful for you to talk to your kids about because, because the white kids should know that this is happening and, and what it means just as the kids of color are forced to know that it's happening and, and know what it means. Um, so that's my thought. Uh, I know that's making an ask of you. And, and as I say, if it, uh, if that seems like, well, this is a pain and I don't want to have to deal with these people's reactions and I would rather just skip that conversation entirely, then obviously that's what you should do. I, I think I, I agree with that for the most part. I also, you know, interestingly, the the part about the, her first part of her question sort of about being in an all-white community and, you know, wanting to diversify her kids' community and friend circle, I live in a mostly white community, as you guys know, and uh, have teased me for many times in this podcast, deservedly. Um, I work in a mostly white workplace. You know, I think about my kids' community, I think about my workplace, and I think about a lot on purpose, you know, even in the content that I make in writing on my podcast about the importance of diversity and how intentional it is to uh, have a more diverse community when you live in a homogenous community. It does take effort. It does take work. It is also really important and sometimes, you know, the in intentionality behind it, you know, approaching other people, if you feel awkward, you know, because they're people of color, I want to be your friend. It does take that kind of intentionality to change the outlook of your community. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes, you know, ice-breaking conversations. And it does take knowing you're doing it for that reason because that's that's a good thing. I mean, what you're trying to do, what you're talking about, you know, having your kids have friends that they can relate to who look like them, that they can talk to about their shared experience, that, you know, more reflect who they are as people, like, that takes work. 
But I think it's work worth doing. And I, I think that you're exactly in like in the right place in terms of thinking about it. And the barriers to putting that into action, I know, might feel onerous given, you know, that you are in this mostly white community. But I don't know. I think I would take that step and, and do it and, and you know, uh, and be intentional in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that there is a difference between being tokenized. I mean, I, th- so this this writer, both these parents are African American, and uh, the writer talks about feeling tokenized. And I think that there's a difference between when white people approach you and they're like, "I want to be your friend because I need a friend <laughs> of color, and I want you to be it," which happens to me like more than I wish it did, and. Um, yeah, that is a feeling of being tokenized because underneath it is a kind of sense of um, acquisition. Like, it's not really about me. It's about you getting something that you want and sort of acquiring me as part of your thing so that you can feel good about yourself. I think it's different when when a black parent does that because that is about connection. That is about not only what you they can offer you, but perhaps what you can offer them. It is a difficult situation to be a black person in an all-white context. That is a hard thing. And one of the things that helps to, us deal with that difficulty is finding and connecting with one another. So I think that you might have more leeway to do that than you think. And I would encourage, like, sort of going about it that way. doesn't mean you're going to connect with every black person that you meet. Sometimes you meet someone and you're like, we don't get along, and then that's it. But I do think that you can strike up a conversation and get to know someone and actually, like, make a sort of intentional thing to to get to know someone and have that in your life because I think it's important. I do think it's – and I think that 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 actually has a lot to do with the other sides of your questions, like how do I deal with the fact – that my kid is being, that his friends are making fun of him because of his skin color. And you're, I think that there's, on one level, you're right that it doesn't necessarily reflect particular bigotry in the homes of the kids who, you know, who are doing this, that it is kind of a youthful, these are elementary school kids, they're sort of picking on differences as a general way of going about things. They have these kids have parents of color, so it's probably maybe not necessarily like there are some clan members at the house, but anti-blackness is like a thing and it goes everywhere. And it's every I've seen it everywhere. Like it's can it can pop up anywhere. And so I while while there may not be specific intentional bigotry being handed down from parent to child, I do think <clears throat> that that anti-blackness plays a role <laughs> in the fact that that this kid that your kid is having this experience and so it is it, it is an interesting analogy to compare it to making fun of a kid because he has glasses or making fun of a kid because he has big ears because uh in intent it is the same perhaps possibly could be but in impact it's not because there is not as far as i know systemic abuse against people with glasses People with glasses aren't treated differently by police officers. They're not treated differently in job search situations, in education, in the institutions of our country, in the legal system. They're not treated differently. So making fun of someone because they have glasses is a shitty thing to do, and it hurts people's feelings, but it doesn't play into a larger system of of, of intentional oppression. But making fun of someone because of their skin color or because of their gender or because of their orientation does. And so it so. So, like, 
I think that it needs to be treated differently. And um, and that it is important for kids to know that difference. And, and the way they know that is because the parents and the adults in their lives talk to them. So that brings us to part three of your question or sort of the third point I have, which is the second half of your question, which is like, do I talk to these white parents about this? And I'm like, if you want to, you should. I don't think it's necessarily like I wouldn't say like you have to. It's your duty because I recognize that there's the, you're always walking this fine line between doing what you feel like needs to be done and also protecting yourself from your own experiences of trauma and suffering and not needing and not feeling like you need to constantly be throwing yourself into the fire to like you know just like for some for some heroic reasons. So you have to make that call. But I do think that it's an important thing to do. I do think that a lot of the thing that continues to perpetuate th- uh, th- this systemic racism, a lot of it does come down to b- being loath to make white people uncomfortable, fearing their discomfort. And there are some good reasons to fear white discomfort because it can occasionally and sometimes turn into something dangerous for everyone. And we've seen that. And so, but not always. And so, but I think that like this feeling of like, well, I don't want, I'm afraid I'm going to make people uncomfortable. And that, by the way, is another thing that happens if you're the only black person in an all white world, because your whole social network, all of your social, um, um, like a uh, value, like your, your, all, all of the social capital that you have is based, <laughs> you risk that social capital if you start making white people uncomfortable, because that's your social world that you're trading in on. So that's a really difficult position to be in. That's another reason why you need more friends than just white people. Because as much as this conversation feels overwhelming and confusing and, oh, I don't know what to do. And is it this? And is it that? And it's scary. It's as much as it feels that way because your your friends and social network are white, black with black friends, you are suddenly freed from all of that secondhand doubt. And that's an incredibly freeing feeling. It's like phenomenally freeing. It's like life changing, actually, because you're like, oh, my God, all this stuff that I've been organizing my whole thought process around. I don't that's not that's actually specific to the the culture that I'm operating in. That's not like a universal real thing. So I think you're in a difficult position. I think it's always difficult to raise kids of color in non in like white areas. I think it's difficult, really difficult to be a family of color in a white area. I understand that you have friends that are white and they're great. And I get that and believe that. And I think that that's, that's part of what makes it more difficult. But I think that the difficulty of your situation is not going to ameliorate itself by just hoping it all goes away. These issues are there because they're there. They're not going to suddenly not be there. They are going to be there. And I think that, I think, and I don't know you, (laughs) but I think that for your own sake, or your own sense of wholeness, you have to confront them in as honest a way as you can. Otherwise, there's always a part of you that's sort of like not going to have true expression, and that's a difficult way to go through life. There's a book that came out recently. I should say I did not read this book. I read a really interesting review of the book, which I will post on our show page, uh, by a woman named Robin D'Angelo. Uh, the book is called White Fragility. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's it's to do with the question of why do white people get so incredibly uncomfortable when anyone even mentions whiteness or race mm. or anything to do with race? Just to read a couple sentences from this review, which was in The New Yorker. Um, 
D'Angelo attempts to explicate the phenomenon of white people's paper-thin skin. She argues that our largely segregated society is set up to insulate whites from racial discomfort so that they fall to pieces at the first application of stress, such as, for instance, when someone suggests that flesh-toned may not be an appropriate name for a beige crayon. Hmm. Reading about this was sort of eye-opening to me because you realize how... Even if even these incredibly tiny, innocent, non-confrontational experiences can trigger these very, very powerful defensive feelings in white people, how hard to actually talk about the real stuff like what this letter writer is talking about. You know what I mean? How hard Mm -hmm. to start those conversations for her with the white people in her community, even the ones who think of themselves as wonderful, good, liberal, anti-racist people. Um, I can only imagine. Um, but but I think reading this has, has made me think slightly differently about those conversations and I think given me a better sense of just how difficult they are for the people of color to dance around this emotional minefield of white people. I, I don't think there's anything wrong when you have, when you have one of these conversations in – being right up front with what you are worried will happen when you have the conversation. Like I've had a lot of success when Mm. I've had failures in uh, communications with people around sensitive topics like this about things like race, about things like politics, about sticky situations at work where you just like cannot get past an impasse of approaching it with, there's something I want to talk to you about, but I have a fear around it that if we talk about it, we'll have a sort of fundamental breakdown right away because that's what's happened to me before when I've approached this issue. It really is amazing how just like signaling people when you want to approach them around a topic like this, that we're about to have a a conversation that's been difficult for me in the past to have can change Mm -hmm. the tenor of it and can, you know, do a little bit of work in just putting a chink in that fragility and, and putting the person on alert that like, all right, I need to like not do the thing that this person has experienced before or try not to or just engage in a different way. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's definitely the solution, but it has worked <laughs> in some recent situations yeah. for me. Yeah, I hear that. All right. Thanks so much for your letter and um, hope that was helpful. If you have a question uh, that you want us to discuss, you can call us at 424-255-7833 uh, or send us an email at slate.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, It's time for the part of the show that we call Recommendations, where we recommend things to you. Rebecca, would you like to recommend something to you? Yes, I would like to recommend something to you. Uh, It's a game that uh, kids and adults of all ages can play. Adults can play it with each other. Kids can play it with kids. Adults can play it with kids. It pretty much works in every combination. Uh, It's a game my family loves, and we pulled out again last night for about the millionth time. 
as I was grieving over my inability to connect with anybody during the first couple weeks of school, I forced everybody to sit down with me and play a couple rounds of a game called Quirkle. Uh, it was a game of the year game about a decade ago. It still is worthy of that honor. It's a very simple game involving colors and shapes and putting them down in a line and scorekeeping. That's all it is. It's great. I can't recommend it highly enough. It comes in a bag, so it's like kind of like Bananagrams. You can throw it in a drawer. You don't have to keep track of a big stupid box. Uh, and it requires nothing but these tiles that come in a bag. Again, the game is called Quirkle, and it's really, really fun. And uh, it will heal the start of school uh, hole that gets created in your soul <laughs> this time of year. Maybe not heal it, <laughs> but at least get you through an hour of it because it worked for me. Wow, deep. Uh, <laughs> Car- Carvel, what are you going to recommend? I'm going to recommend uh, a book that I, I have now branched out. You know how I used to um, co-opt Georgia for her uh, recommendations, and I still do, but now I've, I've co-opted. I'm going out to, like, interviewing her friends, and so we were yet another mall trip. I was giving her friend Sadie a ride back from the mall, and then uh, we got to talk about books, and I said, oh, I have to recommend books, so what are you reading? And so she gave me this comprehensive list, and then she went home and texted me even more books that she liked, but she was really excited about the Mysterious Benedict Society uh, series, which I did, like, flip through a little bit online, and it looks really interesting. It's... um. It's a book probably recommended for kids early. It's a mystery, young adult, fiction, fantasy kind of situation. But it does have some game, puzzle, adventure type stuff in it. Uh, it's by Trenton Lee Stewart. Um, it's been recommended highly by uh, at least one middle schooler whose taste seems to be pretty good. Uh, that's The Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart. And it's a whole series of books. Nice. Um, that sounds great. Uh, I would like to recommend... Uh, a board game. This is not one that I have yet played with my kids. This is, uh, like Carvel, I'm passing on a recommendation for someone else. This is just a little advanced for my kids. Uh, but I got I'm... so much shit for doing this two weeks ago, guys. Well, but that was just some random. <laughs> no, no, no. Facebook that was group. different. You traded. No, no. This is, <laughs> these are kids. We're t- bringing in recommendations oh, okay. to for plays. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's different. Whole different thing. Completely different. Anyway. <laughs> it's a strategy game. It's called Forbidden Island and um, apparently it's a great way, oh, like yeah. if you're into board games then it's a great way to get kids into like thinking through strategy of board games it's cooperative so it doesn't like make people mad at one another but it does make you have to sort of think with one another and figure out a, a sort of system of, of puzzles with one another um, it looks really good and I'm excited for Eliza to get uh, like a two years older so I can play it with her uh, the game is called Forbidden Island uh, it's from a game publisher called Game Right uh, and I am gonna post a link to it on our show page. Uh, And that's all we have. If you have a question, again, give us a call at 424-255-7833. You can let us know what you thought of this show. We can talk about Facebook groups in general on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Slate Parenting. Just search for Slate Parenting. It's much easier. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we will see you next week.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.